Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that is happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kenshaw our host with Ed Spencer and L.A. Wilshaw. Football may not be coming home this summer, but can Lewis Hamilton at least bring home some British pride by clinching victory at Silverstone this weekend, the staging of the British Grand Prix? We'll be running down on the news that's happened in the last week, including the cancellation of this year's Australian Grand Prix. Hello, Ed. Hello, LA. And I know what you'd be thinking, you know, obviously it's a heartbreaking moment for England fans with the final of Euro 2020 and going into the penalty shootout, which didn't end up going our way. But this week, can Lewis Hamilton put a smile back on a lot of people's faces and get himself back into championship contention with victory at Silverstone this weekend? Ed, we begin with you. Well, you'll have to perform a Jordan Pickford uh, to win this weekend at Silverstone. Um, I think he's got a very good chance, but Red Bull have won here before. Remember last year, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and Max Verstappen? It could very well happen again, and Red Bull have won five on the bounce now. So Hamilton will be facing his toughest test this weekend, as he will have the home crowd by his side, but Max Verstappen might have other ideas and may bring another trophy back to the Netherlands. Yeah, and of course that, that cabinet is going to have to get bigger and bigger as the trophies continue piling for Verstappen. That's 50 podium finishes he's achieved now in his Formula 1 career and goodness knows how many could have by the end of his uh, career and how long he's going to be in the sport for. LA, Silverstone this weekend, Hamilton gunning for glory. There's potentially a new upgrade for the Mercedes car which we'll go on to during the show. Do you think this is going to be Lewis Hamilton's Last chance, I wouldn't say his last chance, but this has got to be one of his best chances to really put Red Bull back under pressure, you would think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Silverstone is sort of known to favour Mercedes just a little bit more than Red Bull, um, you know, and they've had the favour of the, the last couple of races. Um, they are supposed to be bringing an upgrade, as uh, James Allison has uh, indicated. And however, I think even if it's only a small upgrade, Mercedes aren't actually that far off the Red Bull pace whatsoever um, and they, they might only need that little bit of a small upgrade you know for Lewis to, to maximize his results at Silverstone and obviously don't forget you know he's, he's half a second pull up being a Brit and it being a home Grand Prix um, but just to throw the spanner in the works that is Lando Norris and McLaren you know and it's a, also a home race for them we're talking about you know football coming home and it didn't and we can talk about F1 coming home we have more than one British driver on that racetrack coming up and we also have George Russell obviously probably not in contention to get up there in qualifying and on the podium but certainly Lando Norris does with his results don't forget you know he's only three points behind uh, Checo Perez there in the championship standings so he's really going to be pushing at his own home Grand Prix as well to maximize his points and one thing to mention as well with the British Grand Prix being held, it's also going to be Formula One's first ever sprint qualifying race that will be staged on the Saturday afternoon. And Ed, it's not too far away now. How are you feeling for it? Uh, a mixture of dread and worry, uh, just like I felt last night. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We've watched in F2 how sprint races have proven to be very exciting. But this is a totally different kettle of fish. We're not going to have two race sprint race. We're going to have only one. Points are only going to the top three, which is a bit of a disadvantage in my opinion. You know, we should be giving it top eight, top ten. 
especially considering some of the small teams do need uh, a slice of good luck for once. So I have a mixture of trepidation for how it's going to go. I don't know how the teams are going to approach it. I certainly worry for the weekend's schedule if teams say, well, we might as well save the car for the sprint. You know, it's not worth burning out our clutches, burning out the tyres, burning out the engines this weekend. So it could be something truly magnificent or it could be something that I will probably be finding on a YouTube video in three years' time in my recommends. Uh, bad, bad, bad ideas that Ross Braun generated. So I'm going in with an open mind more than I was when it was announced, but I'm techy for it. I just hope it, the teams and the drivers execute it perfectly. So rundown on what the schedule will bring for Silverstone this weekend. So there's the first practice session that will be held at 2.30pm on the Friday afternoon, followed by qualifying, the qualifying session that is, the normal qualifying, at 6pm on the Friday to give those who are coming home from work during the rush hour to be able to watch the session itself. Then we have a second practice session on the Saturday at 12 p.m. lunchtime, followed by the sprint qualifying race at 4.30 p.m. then. And then on the race itself is 3 p.m. British summer time then. So LA, it's gonna be quite different in terms of the timings to what we've all been used to, but, this is one of those trials of which Formula One is going to be trying. And I think sometimes if you don't try it, you never know what it's going to be like. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, Ed and I are um, very much involved in Formula Two and we have seen sprint races for a number of years. And we've also seen a change in those sprint races as well this season itself. Um, and obviously that was a new concept of what's happened in Formula Two this season. And so, you know, we, I, I'm quite open minded. Um, you know, I've, I've um, a little bit longer in the tooth than you two guys. So I've seen Formula One for a good three three or so decades now in my life um, and that's enough about my age and I'm definitely not talking about the football that's why I'm not referencing it because my heart is too broken over that so let's push that to one side um, but yeah I mean I, I think with the open mind um, or, well we've totally got let me tell, tell you my closed mind uh, top three, three points for, for pole, two points for the second and one point for the third driver. Um, I agree with Ed. I think that there should be more points available and it should be for more drivers than that as well. Um, but then again, would it then give the, the idea of the sprint you know, would they all be racing for those top three positions if they still felt like they might just get one or two points anyway, if they finished a little bit further down? So maybe it might put a sense of urgency into those drivers that, that are midfield, you know, that are grabbing points for those midfield places. Um, and, you know, and, and you might have the, the leaders not necessarily quibbling about three, two, one points. So it might mix things up a little bit. But then again, don't underestimate these guys. Every single one of those drivers is a racer. And that's what what they do and in their head regardless of points regardless of trophies regardless of anything else that comes with those race wins they are there to win every single race that is put in front of them including practice I mean we all surely watch practice sessions and they're all pretty much hammering it during those practice sessions too because they're in the cars and they just want to they just want to drive they just want to get the fastest time no matter what session they're in um, I think it's interesting that um, as, as far as I'm, I know that they're going to be using the soft compound tyres in these sprint races. 
which means it actually opens up the race on Sunday, the Grand Prix itself, because they're not having to be limited to, to a specific tyre of what they would qualify on in, in Q2. So that's also going to put a different dimension onto things, isn't it? Mm -hmm, absolutely. And the thing I would say with the spring qualifying is the reason why they don't want to give too many points um, or too many, well, yeah, too many points to the drivers or too many places for points in the spring qualifying race. They don't necessarily want it to influence the championship of this year too much because that could sort of take so much of, you know, the worthy of the Grand Prix itself away because they're having, because they're giving so many points from spring from the sprint race rather than you know the the grand prix itself but i suppose with other categories like formula two and formula three where you've got two, well we've got this year now two sprint races followed by a feature with the feature race giving the more points than the sprint race they don't want to take some of the prestige out of formula one because it's all about that one race the one race on the sunday that the drivers are revving up for whereas with formula two and formula three it's Formula 2 and Formula 3 for a reason. It's where the junior drivers, not just showing how good they are over the course of a single lap, but it's racecraft as well, hence why we've got these reverse grid positions. Whereas with Formula 1, this is the pinnacle of motorsport. This is what, what you are built up to do. That one race on the Sunday that the fans around the world are watching you from, you know, whether they're watching from Italy, Japan, Australia, UK or America, they're waiting for you to put in a stellar performance in one of the top machines in the world. That's my only take with the spring qualifying thing. They don't want it to influence the championship too much. But in terms of the spring qualifying, it's one of three events this year of which spring qualifying is going to be used. Obviously, Silverstone's this weekend. Monza is expected to be the second location for the spring qualifying. And the last one, as it stands, is at, is at Interlagos. But should that not go ahead, a different venue will, of course, take its place in terms of whether to host the sprint qualifying race or not but we are in a trial and in a trial situation with regards to where formula one well how formula one should go about um in terms of making the racing better for everyone around the world not just the drivers or teams but let's have a look at the championship after the first nine races we had the austrian grand prix last time out let's find out how that has affected the championship standings max Verstappen has a 32 point lead over lewis hamilton going to this weekend at silverstone he has 182 points to Hamilton's 150. Sergio Perez is third on 104 points. Then it's Lando Norris in fourth on 101. Valtteri Bottas is fifth on 92. Then it's Charles Leclerc in sixth on 62. With his teammate Carlos Sainz in seventh, two points behind on 60. Dan Ricciardo is eighth with 40, followed by Pierre Gasly ninth with 39. And Sebastian Vettel in tenth with 30 points. Fernando Alonso is 11th with 20, followed by Lance Stroll in 12th with 14. Then it's Esteban Ocon in 13th with 12. Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with nine. Then it's Kimi Raikkonen and Tony Giovinazzi with one point each. George Russell, Mick Schumacher, Nikita Maspin, and Nicholas Latifi, who have yet to get off the mark. In the Constructors' Championship, Rebel have a 44-point lead over Mercedes, 286, playing 242. Then it's McLaren, 101 points behind Mercedes in third, but they are not in the battle for the cycle, For let's be, uh, let's be honest with you, they are in a fight with Ferrari over that important third place in the standings. They have they are 19 points clear of them, 141 playing 122. Then it's Alfa Tauri in fifth on 48, then it's Aston Martin sixth with 44, followed by Alpine in seventh with 32, with Alfa Romeo in eighth with two points. Williams and Haas have yet to get off the mark this year. 
So when you look at the gap bed, 32 points, it's more than a full round. This weekend, you can get a maximum of 29. And that's something that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes will be thinking about. Every point matters to them now. It certainly will. They have to get back in this race. Mercedes have been way too distant for their liking over the past two rounds. They were unlucky in France because Verstappen pulled in, produced a virtuoso drive to win. And they should have won in Baku when uh, Verstappen retired, but things didn't go their way. They need to get a result at Silverstone. And whether that's second and then win the sprint race or whether that's win both, they need that result badly because that Mercedes has not looked at all stable at times and has really let Verstappen have almost an easy lead in the championship, uh, considering how well he dominated uh, both Austrian rounds and Monte Carlo uh, in the midpoint of the year. So, sorry, midpoint in the spring. So they need a big result. And this is the perfect opportunity. You have more points available. You've got a car which may be more drivable. You may potentially have a new driver lineup. We haven't mentioned the fact that George Russell may be getting parachuted in this weekend. So there's a lot going on for Mercedes and a lot of positives to take into this weekend rather than the usual, well, we might be a little bit behind Verstappen and Perez. But a win is needed and then they need to push on to Hungary and repeat the same formula. Verstappen doesn't really need to do much. He is not under pressure. He just needs to get the points, get the results, get ahead of at least one of the Mercedes, and he is home and dry for Hungary and then the mid-season break before we go to back to Bel- before we go back to Belgium in August. Yeah. I think that's a good point that Eds has made there, LA. You know, even if Verstappen doesn't win, you know, if he can finish second, he'll still have a good lead going into Hungary where Red Bull and Mercedes have done well in the past. And then you've got those two races at Spa, which is you know, I suppose a home Grand Prix and a way for Verstappen, and then Zandvoort in Holland, of which will be a huge sea of orange. You know, Verstappen, at this moment of the time, is just building that momentum for the coming races. And these races after the summer break are going to be coming in thick and fast, much quicker than earlier on this year. Yeah, 100%. Um, of course, that's going to be a massive home advantage as well for Max once they get over to Zandvoort. Um, but... Again, don't underestimate Lewis Hamilton. You know, he's proved himself in the past going to circuits where there has been some animosity against him in the past. And he's absolutely risen to that occasion um, and, and almost let it feed him. And I'm I'm more than sure, especially after the amazing scenes that we saw in, in Austria last weekend with that sea of orange army, that, um, you know, Lewis is going to be prepared for that. You know, he's an absolute professional and he'll, he'll be ready for Zandvoort but one race at a time you know he's looking forward to his own home Grand Prix this weekend um, and again regardless of what happens with the car and upgrades he, he will have that home advantage um, I absolutely love uh, you know what, what Ed uh, you know said and, and you know the George Russell scenario because wouldn't that be amazing uh, amazing fairy tale um, for everybody you know I, we're British so obviously it's going to make a huge difference to us um, if he, if and when he gets that Mercedes seat, 
but um, I think that uh, maybe a lot of neutral racing drivers last season absolutely loved what happened at Sakia, you know, and, and loved that race and, and was just as disappointed and just as gutted as we all were. And as in the same vein, you have Lando Norris with McLaren, um, you know, and, and he seems to have a bit of a neutral sort of crowd following him too, which which is amazing. Um, and, and what I said previously, you know, don't underestimate other drivers throwing a spanner in the works because you have Checo who's doing incredibly well. And, you know, he's having mis some misfortunes during the races, but look how, how he's coming back. And then you have Lando and, you know, and you obviously have Bottas that, that's got the bit between his teeth. And the, the field is so much closer this season, um, you know, even with the Aston Martins, even with Sebastian Vettel getting on the podium, it's, it's going to be a very close season this season. And, you know, we're speculating about what this sprint race weekend will, will provide an offer. I think this season there's there's probably definitely two that we'll see with the sprint race, maybe three, but maybe not. Those three to one points may not make a difference at all. Obviously just a trial, but you never know. Look at 2007, 2008, one by one point in each championship. So that one point for third place might actually say who's the winner this year. Yeah. And, you know, Silverstone, of course, is a legendary circuit. And, of course, with, you know, the current point system where it's 25 for a race win, 18 for second. Since this point system came in in 2010, the closest we've seen a title be decided is three points in 2012 between Vettel and Alonso. And, you know, if it was the previous point system, it may well have been the one point in there. So that's, that's something worth thinking about. Um, but I just don't want the sprint races have too much of an influence when it's the Grand Prix, the main Grand Prix itself, that are the deciding factor this year, not because of a sprint race. So let's just have a look and rundown of Silverstone in terms of the circuit itself, a little bit of the history on the side of it. So little though, little did those laying the perimeter roads, the RAF Silverstone airfield in 1942, know that they were settling down and what would become one of the world's greatest racetracks but well, they were. The Silverstone circuit was first used for a proper motor race in 1947, although sadly, a local sheep lost its life during the proceedings. Silverstone was the first Grand Prix hosting the inaugural Formula One World Championship round on 13th of May, 1950. Old campaigner Giuseppe Farina, who took that year's title, won the race in his Alfa Romeo 158. The circuit... What, sorry, sorry, what's the circuit like? Well, at the 2018 British Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton compared a flat-out lap around Silverstone to flying a fighter jet, which should tell you all you need to know about the North Hampshire circuit. Despite numerous layout changes over the years, Silverstone has always maintained its essential character as one of the fastest tracks on the F1 calendar, while historic corners like Maggots, Beckett's and Abbey provide some of the biggest challenges for racing drivers anywhere in the world. So in regards to the number of laps, it's 52 for the Grand Prix. We expect the sprint race to be 17, as it is a 5.891 kilometer racetrack. This is the layout that they have used since 2011 when Formula One um, moved the pits complex from what was the old pit straight between Woodcote and Cops to between Club and Abbey. It's now what's now known as the Hamilton Straight is the start finish straight. And it's, it's a wonderful location. I mean, when it was moved, I was saddened that we weren't going to see any more of the pit complex on the start finish straight. But when you look at it now, over the years, Ed, it, you can see why they've moved it. 
Oh, absolutely. You look at the old pits that are still occasionally used now for Formula 2, Formula 3 and also the Porsche Super Cup. They are a little bit tiny when you think of the massive garages you expect at nearly every other grade one circuit. Silverstone is one of those great British summer institutions like Glastonbury and a British exit in the second week of Wimbledon. So it's always good to be back here. It's always good to see Formula One at Silverstone. And it's always a challenge for the drivers. It's one of those traditional circuits that they enjoy coming here. They enjoy the flat out challenges of Beckett's, Maggots, Cops. They, they don't get that with some of the newer circuits. And it's always a good atmosphere. It's always a carnival at Silverstone. It's never people going around thinking, well, why are we here? They're all here for one reason. They're there for a Grand Prix and they're there to have a good time. And with the weather, when it occasionally turns hot, it's even better. Although, be it Silverson has thrown a few spanners in the works, 2000, when the car park was completely flooded and no one could get in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those institutions of Formula One. And I remember when Donington uh, was rumoured to be getting it, I felt saddened because I felt a piece of Formula One history was going away internally. Um, because Silverstone is the home of the British Grand Prix and it always will be in my mind. It could go anywhere in the world, but it must be Silverstone. And it's good to have a full crowd as well. 140,000 back in last year. It was very, very depressing seeing no one in, apart from a few protesters who broke in, of course. Yeah. Uh, although they were just, they were immediately removed by protesters. So it's going to be a nice weekend, whatever the outcome. Let's just hope that the normally unpredictable English weather decides to be a bit nice for once. Yeah, and of course, the um, as far as the weather is concerned, it's expected to be dry as well. Sunny and dry for this weekend's race at Silverstone, although if reverse psychology was to uh, take its toll on things, like we saw with Austria, where people thought it was going to be raining, where we could all of a sudden get rain on the, <laughs> on the Sunday itself. But um, I think in terms of the weather and the circuit's characteristics, where it's located as well, I would expect it to be a dry um, sunny race um, this weekend. LA, Silverstone has been the home of the British Grand Prix since 1987. Prior to that, it used to alternate between there and Brands Hatch each season. And Silverstone has undergone some changes over the years, as you well know. But this particular layout with the DRS zones and with the far sections like, you know, Maggots, Beckett's Chapel, Stowe, Club, Abbey, I mean, all the nostalgia just absorbs inside you. Yeah, it does for sure, Tom. Um, I, I was uh, lucky and privy to um, go along to the Silverstone experience last year. And uh, we, there's, a, there's an older section of the track that they don't use anymore that you can actually walk on and go around and take photographs on. And um, I, I did it alone. And I'm actually quite glad I did um, because I was just able to saunter and stroll around and you know and, and it's quite amazing that there are certain sections and areas of the circuit that are absolutely you know done up to the nines and look fantastic and you know futuristic and then there's still those kind of really old-fashioned old looking you know real race circuit kind of grandstands over there um and it you know it took me back to 1999 it was my very first Grand Prix attendance um and I went with a friend and we had the most amazing day we really did um and you know and it, it absolutely sort of if, if I wasn't an F fan, F1 fan before that I certainly was when I left 
Um, so I can't wait to go back. It's the first time I've actually gone back to this circuit next weekend. I'm going as a spectator for the full three days this time. It was only a one day um, general admission last time, but I've got seats in Abbey. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be sitting there, you know, binoculars out, spying across all, all those, you know, all those garages, um, which is very exciting place to be. It might not necessarily be the most exciting place on the circuit itself. You know, there are many twists and turns and corners that a lot of people have a preference for and even a preference for being able to see the podium at the end. Um, but I enjoyed an experience at the Australian Grand Prix where I was sat, you know, watching and looking at the garages uh, and, the, and the pits. and. Um, when there's a lull in proceedings and when you're sitting in your seat, you know, minding your own business, everything's still going on in those garages. You know, everything's still happening in the pits. And um, I found it absolutely fascinating. And as I guess as a real sort of F1 fan and a petrol head, it was absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love this circuit anyway, because you mentioned, you know, the long straights, um, the DRS zones. And this is really, really hard on that tyre wear. You know, we all saw what happened last year in that first race weekend when you had all, you know, Sainz, Bottas, Hamilton, you know, their tyres delaminating and, and, you know, look at Lewis, look at how he finished that race last season. Unbelievable. I, I don't think we'll ever get a race like that again, you know, certainly not towards the end when Max was, what, 30 seconds behind and he was came in for that pit stop, got those new tyres on, was absolutely hammering it around those laps and then ended up just six seconds, just behind Lewis as he, you know, went over that, that uh, finish line. And um, it's a shame in a way, I'd absolutely love to be sat there in my seat watching that happen this season, but, you know, probably won't be able to replicate that. Um, and regarding the weather, yeah, I mean, you know, I did have a look at the prediction. It is only a prediction. You're absolutely right about the British weather. We know what it can do. Um, but it is supposed to be really quite pleasant. It's supposed to be in the 70s. The humidity is supposed to be sort of mid-range, 50-odd percent, quite low for, for the UK this time of year. No rain predicted as such so far. Um, and, and I'm quite excited, you know, because um, I, I'm going to, I've got dresses to go in. I've got lovely dresses instead of jeans and, and a poncho. So let's hope that the rain does stay off. Yeah, uh, of course, it's going to be very warm there. So you have to hope that it does not rain. Otherwise, when you're wearing a, um, a raincoat, whether it's just like one of those transparent ones that you wear or like a normal coat, you do get very warm inside that that's the that's the annoying thing about you know the humidity up, up in the air and um you know rain coming down like the weather that we had over in my area um when i was on my way back from my brothers um following the football it's it it does you know the sweat comes comes down from you when you basically there and when you're walking around so much you know the sweat just drains drains you a lot but in terms of the circuit itself, I, I do enjoy it. And Silverstone, I don't think there's even been one year, Red, where Great Britain has not had a Grand Prix on the calendar. I think it always has had a Grand Prix on the calendar. Uh, yes, I believe so. And I think the only other country not to have that one week season where they don't have a race is Italy. Of course, Italy has had, is arguably more just as big as a home of motorsport as this country. So it shows that there is a growing, there's still a massive fan base in the UK. Teams and drivers will go from this country. Teams, you know, may decide to, to leave the sport, but there's always seemingly a British interest, no matter what age, no matter what 
background, whether they're rich, poor, if they're into the sport, you know, it's mainly because there's such an interest and it's been passed on from generation to generation. I had that when my, through my grandfather, through the fact that he had motorsport books and he went to racing events. So it kind of got passed on to me. Although there is a few books that are now look, look at worse for wear, the passion is still there. And it's, it's always great to see, you know, true fans that, fans that you get the odd fan who's just there to sell a few Heineken bottles. These punters always turn up for the love of the sport. And I mean, unfortunately, at times, motor racing does get scoffed at in this country. But you can never, ever say the British fans don't turn up. They will turn up en masse. If there was two Grand Prix, they would turn up. If there was even, if there were 17 races, I think we'd pretty much have 95% of the race weekends sold out. That's how good, that's how the spirit of Formula One is still there in this country. So it's a bit of a monologue to the British racing fan, but they are the hardiest souls in, the, in this country's sporting culture. And of course, with the current layout of Solstein, you know, the Wellington Strait and all that, obviously we've seen some wonderful moments in terms of having to say something special about Alonso in 2014, Alonso and Weber in 2012 that decided the race victory is, I mean, you just can't not like Solstein. It is one of the most historic and in terms of the racing it provides. And it's one of the quickest races as well on the calendar. It's almost like with Monza, pretty much, except that Solstein is not as quick as uh, Monza. So let's just go on to some news that's been going around in the last week or so, guys. And it's been announced today that Formula 1 is to unveil the full scale of the 2022 car on Thursday. So a major technical rules overhaul originally planned for 2021, but delayed because of the pandemic, will officially be unveiled on Thursday at 3pm British Summer Time with the sport marketing it as a new era. It sees a return to ground effect cars where the majority of the downforce is created by large tunnels in the floor rather than complex front and rear wings. The benefit of this is that the trailing airflow is much cleaner and allows a chasing car to follow more closely. It's hoped this will encourage closer racing, which will in turn lead to more overtaking. It's also the first year that the budget cap and development scale will truly have an impact, which it's hoped will help to level the playing field between the front running teams and those at the back of the pack. The British Grand Prix weekend not only sees the introduction of a new race weekend format, but also the unveiling of a life-size scale model of the 22 car. During the unveiling, a panel of experts will explain the thinking behind the, the revolutionary new concepts. So put that in your diary, guys. Thursday the 15th, 3 p.m. British Summer Time, expect to see the model itself of the 22 car, which I am thoroughly looking forward to. Rather than seeing the simulated images of the 22 car or something that's, you know, one of the wind tunnels of what either one of the team's factories or wherever, we get to see a proper design of the car for next year, which I am anticipating a lot. LA, your thoughts on the machine itself? Because you may have seen the simulated images over the years of what we're expecting, but how are you thinking for this one? Yeah, I'm quite excited. Obviously, this has been a long time coming. Uh, you know, the, the teams were working on um, what was supposed to be this year's car, you know, back in 2020 when the pandemic hit. 
and um, they sort of had to put that to one side they had to cease that development um, and I'm sure that they've been working incredibly hard in the factories to, to get back on on track pardon the pun uh, to get back on track with that um, and I'm not sure if, if either of you are uh, clear it's just a kind of a question I have really that's gone through my head is that the budget cap that they do have it has, has that sort of been on the the next season's car in general or does it start from a certain date um because obviously some of the teams if not all of them but some of the teams were already developing this car and i'm guessing already spending budget spending money so does that therefore give some teams an advantage if the money they've already spent doesn't matter or you know because we've only heard of this budget cap or it's only coming into play for next season so do, do we do either of you know um, in terms of the car for next year, or um, I think, Ed, you may want to answer that question um, to help me decide on that. I believe it's to do with the uh, the whole driver package. I don't think the budget cap kicks in till uh, I believe the end of the season uh, because there was a budget cap initiated this year uh, to basically get the teams prepared for having their spending cut to pieces. Um, as was demonstrated, and it's already come into effect because the likes of Mercedes, they couldn't get Bottas' chassis repaired uh, after Imola. So I think it's due around, I would say, November, December time when the season is set to end. Um, although some of the teams, as I said, may have already started work on it, but they haven't completed the finished product yet. We won't probably see these cars run until January, February. In which case, that may be when it fully kicks in. Yeah, I, that, thank you for um, helping me, uh, helping there, um, Ed. And Trying I, to. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, I was. The teams are obviously working on it at the moment. And to be honest, they've been working on it throughout the year. Has most especially as they're no longer developing their um, 2021 car. Um, I would expect there to be some demo runs in January, if not February. And what Ross Braun came out with earlier in the year was. He's wanting to do two pre-season tests rather than one. The first one is for the teams to explore what the car is actually like, um, either following another car in front or how the car handles. And then the second test, we're looking at more of the times or the competitiveness of the cars itself. So... Tom, do you think, do you, you know, obviously we discussed what happened at the last race in the last podcast um, at, at the Austrian Grand Prix um, with the overtaking attempt by Checo on Norris in those opening laps and Norris was penalised by, by what happened, um, which to most people that was wheel to wheel racing. And, um, you know, exactly what you just said, they're, they're trying to change the, the aerodynamics on the car by, you know, changing the, the way it's, it's built. Um, so if it does bring more wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing, are we more likely to just keep seeing penalties? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something which has to be talked about at the end of the year. And I think that's, I think obviously when the drivers sit down in the um, briefing room with the race director, like, Ed will remember, and you will remember when Charlie Whiteham was doing that. They used to release um, videos of uh, pre-race, um, not uh, debriefs or meetings with the race director in terms of what's happened in the last race. I think that's one of the things of which drivers will be talking about um, for Silverstone as well, because we want to see wheel wheel to wheel racing. But what defines wheel to wheel racing and what doesn't? 
and it, there's just seems to be very little in that and I think that's something of which the stewards will consider now if not then the summer break if not it'll probably be at the end of the season but I hope it doesn't go for as long as that because there needs to, something needs to be clarified and for the stewards to take note of when they are looking at instances that I think they should have let the first one go and I think had they just let the first one go that will not have any more influence on other incidents when they are tackling them. Because I think they gave the penalties to Perez for his moves on the clear, not necessarily the fact that he pushed him off the track, but more the fact that, you know, if they're going to give Norris a penalty, we'll have to give Perez a penalty as well because he's just done the same thing. That's what we don't want. You give the you give the penalties because the driver's done the offence, not because of other incidents that may not be involving them. That's something that needs to be looked at. Um, so yeah, I think with the with the concept of the car itself, going back to that, I, I, I am really looking forward to it because the fans will also have a look at it. I mean, the 140 or so thousand fans, although it's the Thursday, isn't it? But they'll still have some form of glimpse on the car itself, whether they can see it from such a distance or they'll have a look at it when it's unveiled online. Do we know if it's do we know if it's been it's in being unveiled at Silverstone? Do we know if it's going to be available to look at? I think with there being so many fans, only a fair few, lucky few, I would say. I, don't I, wonder, know. I wonder how that's established then, because that'd be be good, wouldn't it, to get close to that and take some pictures? If there's like a like a a rough spec of the car itself that they can have on display in one of the um, the paddock area, I say one of the paddock areas, the, the areas where you know where bridge used to be at. There's like yeah. a Ferris wheel or something around there that fans can actually walk across. Why not have like a little display of the car itself so that fans can actually, you know, either take pictures of it or just actually see it on display and then they can have a, a better idea as to what the cars will look like come next year. Or there's another alternative. You can stick it in the fan zone. Now, the fan zone is wide enough to host things like this. Uh, when I went to Monza in 2019, they had a James Bond car exhibit there. So I think they can fit one car in rather than four massive cars. Um, as someone who has seen the new car uh, via leaked images from Italian publication, it is very impressive. It's much, it's much sleeker than the current cars, which at times do look very bulky and very large and almost look undrivable if you're in dirty air. Um, I, I like the new future of Formula One. I'm not going to be one of those people who say, well, it was better in the 90s, you know, with car design. The 90s and 90s. This is much more easier on the eye. Although the only criticism I would say are these suspension boards on top. I don't like them. I think they look like something you would find in a fancy restaurant where they would serve a tiny little piece of Kobe beef for 50 bucks. Um, so I'm deep. apart from that, I'm deeply satisfied with the look of the new car. And um, I hope to see what the teams can do with it. And hopefully the main hope is that it attracts a couple more teams uh, to the grid with, of course, the cheaper costs and the fact that it looks much more easy to design than the current generation of car, which requires a diploma from Harvard to design. Ed, wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually have some, um, you know, of the, the lower formula series hopping up into F1, like Hitech or Prema or somebody like that? Wouldn't that be great? It would be. And I think there's teams like Campos, uh, who has talked so long about coming to Formula One. Adrian Campos, the late Adrian Campos, said that he wanted another go at the Formula One cherry. And I would like to see him come along. Prema, probably not, because there's two or so Ferrari junior teams. 
Hitex a possibility. Carlin would be nice. ART, they flirted with the idea. And Dams as well, for the historic in me, because they weren't inches away from getting into Formula One in 1995. But sadly, French laws and the fact they had no money meant they could not turn up onto the Formula One grid. So hopefully F2 teams see this new car and think, we, might, we could have a go. And also for the fact that, you know, Renault, for example, they need another team for their junior drivers. They may be pushing uh, for more teams and may offer them free engines in return for a couple of their drivers. So let's just hope this widens out the Formula One grid and makes it more accessible and we have more drivers to keep an eye on. And there was also the thing with the, the meeting they had at the Austrian Grand Prix weekend, Porsche and um, Audi discussing about um, not necessarily the possibility of going uh, of joining Formula One, but looking at the 2025 plans in regards to the engines. Um, we don't know too much about what's been said, as we can all imagine, but I just hope that they can come to a conclusion on that and think, you know, can Porsche or Audi, Porsche or Audi um, make the switch to Formula One? I mean, it's a long time since Porsche were involved. I think it's the tag days of uh, McLaren in the 80s, the last time they were involved. Um, I must have been wrong there, Ed. It is wrong. It, they, were, they were part of footwork in 1991. And the reason why they don't talk too much about it, because the engine was a complete disaster and exploded every five minutes. So that's why. But the tag oil days are very prominent because of the fact it was a turbo era. So on you go. Sorry for interrupting. No, it's OK. No, I, I'm glad you came in and um, interrupted me with the um, statistic because, you know, the Porsche engine was utterly, utterly sluggish in that footwork 30 years ago. But, you know, we're in a different era now anyway. But, um, but yeah, fingers crossed with the 2022 car. We are obviously looking very forward to um, seeing it. And then of all places, Silverstone. What better place to see the introduction of a new Formula One car? Now, going on to... Let's stick with Silverstone, actually, because... In fact, no, we won't go to Silverstone, actually. We'll go to the number of options thing, as Australia is axed for 2021. Now, Formula One says it remains committed to a 23-race 2021 calendar and has several options after it is announced that the Australian Grand Prix will no longer take place. Australia's race, held in Melbourne's Albert Park, was an early casualty of the COVID-19 pandemic when its 2020 event was abandoned just a few hours before the scheduled start of practice. The event was installed as the proposed 2021 season opener in March, but was pushed back until a November date in order to give race organisers greater clarity on the pandemic. But Australia has some of the tightest border restrictions in the world, with a cap on international traveller intake, and anyone entering must still undertake a mandatory 14-day quarantine period in an approved hotel. This situation has been accentuated by the slow nature of the vaccine rollout in Australia. On the Tuesday of last week, the government of Victoria outlined that both the Formula 1 Grand Prix and the MotoGP round, due to be held at Phillip Island, have been called off, outlining that the decision was mutually agreed between all parties. Both Formula One and MotoGP required an assurance this, uh, this week, or the last week, that is, that their respective events could be held and that could not be provided. It has yet to be determined whether Formula One's Australian Grand Prix will return to its traditional season opening slot for 2022. We're deeply disappointed that for a second consecutive year, both MotoGP and Formula One fans won't be able to see the world's best riders and drivers compete at the wonderful Phillip Island and Albert Park Grand Prix circuits, said Australian Grand Prix Corporation Chairman Paul Little. We appreciate the challenge Australia faces with current international travel restrictions and the importance of vaccinations. 
We'd like to reassure our motivated and professional staff, suppliers and partners, as well as the Victorian tourism and major events community that we will work tirelessly to deliver these iconic events in 2022. The cancellation of Australia's event has been anticipated for several weeks, but it nonetheless reduces Formula One's schedule to 22 rounds. However, several venues remain in contention to step in to ensure Formula One maintains its 23 event lineup as intended to do so at the beginning of the year. A potential return to China has been muted as has a second event at the Circuit of the Americas, while a return to Bahrain's outer layout potentially forming a triple header with Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi to close out the year has also been rumoured. While it's disappointing we'll be racing in Australia this season, we are confident we can deliver a 23 race season in 2021, said Formula 1 CEO Stefano Domenicali. We have a number of options to take forward to replace the place left vacant by the Australian Grand Prix. We will be working through the details of those options in the coming weeks and will provide further updates once those discussions are concluded. Australia is the third country to cancel its plans to host a 2021 round following on from Canada and Singapore. A second event in Australia was held ostensibly to fill the void left by Canada, while Turkey is currently scheduled to take Singapore's slot. So there you have it. It's finally concluded that Australia will not be hosting its Grand Prix in 2021. Very sad news. And um, yeah, you can't really blame it. I mean, the 14-day quarantine period, simply not possible with the packed schedule we've got for Formula One in the November stroke December period. And, you know, and it's a question mark of whether you know, whether we will get a Grand Prix taking its place. I think we will do, it's just a matter of where, doesn't it? It seems every time I'm on this podcast, we are discussing calendars. Um, I've, I think it was inevitable, really. Um, it, Australian motorsport has been in a state of chaos for nearly a year, but year and a half now. If you follow the B8 Supercar Championship, we've seen teams having to flee to different states in order to make the next round because of certain states being put under a free or a long quarantine, long lockdown, it was not going to happen. We were not going to have a 14-day quarantine and get the teams ready. It would be in a race against time at the best. And really, we would have had to think maybe we'd have to do two rounds in Australia, if that's be to fill the void. I feel it's a big shame for Albert Park. They've spent a lot of money getting this track renovated for this year, and now it's going to come to naught. Um, but I appreciate the speediness of the time of cancellation because we all remember seeing the rather terrible and almost farcical scenes of fans queuing up outside the gate, not socially distancing of course, um, waiting to go in only to be told practice would be cancelled a few hours before kickoff. So I think it's a good decision to get it done now. I think it's good that F1 He's still keeping the door open for Australia in 2022, although from what I've read, they won't be hosting the first round of the season. I think it's going to take a lot of time uh, for the vaccination rate to speed up in Australia. As for where we could go replacement round, I would like to give the teams a bit of a rest. I think it's a bit, you know, it it is extremely hard, you know, transporting everything across the Atlantic, across into the Middle East, into into North America, back into Asia. I think give the teams a break. I mean, it's one race. It can easily, we can easily take the week off and maybe go somewhere, maybe add another weekend in October. I think treble headers, you know, unfortunately they grind the employees down of Formula One. It's not just the drivers who have to travel, it's everyone else. And, you know, we have to think of their mental state. 
if Formula One decide not to, a second race in America is probably the most likely option because the American vaccine, vaccine rates are going up. Austin can have openly said we're okay in hosting a second race. China, probably not because the, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard from sources down in Shanghai, uh, the circuit is on the verge of losing its grade one license. There is Dubai, of course, Dubai Autodrome. I've mentioned on this podcast numerous times, uh, could host a race Q8, even though it doesn't have that many stands. Or even Thailand, for example, with the Buriam International Circuit. But once again, we are in a calendar loop. And I think I should have a almost family fortune style uh, board behind me of which race was cancelled and have survey says eh, eh, for Australia. I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, there's going to be quite a number of um, races. I mean, obviously last year, only nine out of the 22 that were scheduled at the beginning of the year ended up hosting races. 13 didn't. I mean, that tells you everything about 2020. Whereas this year, we've lost so far three. Um, and I think it's only going to go down even more from um, from next year onwards. And um, LA, Melbourne, once again, not hosting a race, but at least it's not a repeat of the farcical of, uh, of the farce, I should say, of last year. Yeah, obviously that was very gutting for everybody concerned. Um, and as, as far as I understand it, there, there weren't any tickets sold at all for this year's race anyway. So it's not like everybody has bought tickets and, and have uh, experienced that disappointment again. Of course, they'll be disappointed that there won't be tickets going on sale that they can buy. But, um, I, you know, obviously they held back in selling those tickets in the first instance. Um, and, I, and I think it was very realistic of them to, to do that because you know, we're all quite sceptical after last year about what happened. You've just, you know, said that the races that went ahead and the ones that didn't. Um, and we spoke about this in the last podcast. Uh, I spoke about the, the long haul destinations um, and the logistics and the feasibility of not just logistically getting teams on chartered aircraft, you know, across uh, to, to these long haul destinations in the Americas, you know, and, and, and over in the Far East. Um, but you also have to consider the countries that are struggling with their vaccine programs a little bit behind the rest of Europe in the vaccine programs, including Japan. Um, do you know, is Japan going to be in question because they're behind on their vaccine program? Um, you know, it's quite in it's an interesting read if you actually go online and look at how they've handled this pandemic situation. It's interesting because it goes to show why they're behind. Um, and uh, I, I kind of feel like that might be in question too. Um, I definitely, I, I think we maybe can, should we feel confident in in Austin yeah maybe maybe and maybe for a double header possibly um but I'm still doubting Mexico I'm still doubting Brazil um definitely starting to doubt Japan um and and I feel like we oh and we also have countries on the red list don't forget I think Turkey's on the red list even though it's replaced the uh Canadian Grand Prix and um Please tell me I said that the right way around then. They are, they are. It's sorry, sorry, see, I knew I said it wrong. I knew it, I knew it then as soon as I said it. Yeah, Singapore. Um, and of course, Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates. You know, uh, Edge just mentioned uh, Dubai, but United Arab Emirates, as far as I know, is on the red list right now. So even Abu Dhabi, the, the season finale might be in question. It, who knows? It might be in danger. Um, we still have, we have Silverstone putting their hand up, volunteering for a second race this season. 
wouldn't that be amazing especially if the powers that be decide to keep it all within Europe like they did last year so we have Silverstone a full capacity crowd next weekend as we've already discussed and that could be another full capacity crowd again because not forgetting other countries around Europe aren't necessarily open to a full capacity crowd so that's what F1 wants that's what Formula One wants so if Britain can host another one if this weekend's a success we might get another race this season uh, then then like like we did last year you know what are we going to call this one the 71st i don't know what we're going to call it let's think of some great the names just a grand prix how about the european grand prix for laughs yeah. um yeah. Well, there is also another one uh we aren't looking at italy they have magello free uh it might be a little, slightly bit warmer than silverstone in november germany have got two very good racetracks available Estoril is still there and Spain. I mean, there's a reason why MotoGP hosts four rounds of their championship every year in Spain is because they've got plenty of choice. So Silverstone may not have this locked up yet. We may be going back to Portugal, for example, and that would be fantastic. Uh, this late summer sunshine at a grand circuit. Estoril, one of the great Formula One gems, in my view, considering they used to host the Portuguese Grand Prix for 12 years and we used to get some fantastic racing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's some amazing European tracks that I would absolutely love to go back to Mugello. You know, look what happened last year. What a fabulous race that was. It was, I'm still laughing about all that chaos. You know, it was amazing. Um, but obviously don't forget, we've got that brand new Saudi, Saudi Arabia track. And if you do look at the calendar um, with Australia being the, the race that was previous to Saudi and there's a four week um, gap between Brazil and Saudi, there's room to pop a race in there and that could very much be stuck here we could go back to Bahrain they've already showed that they can not only host testing they can host two Grand Prix a season they've got two different tracks that they can host a very different race on and we all loved what happened last season at Sakia I would absolutely I would I think I'd celebrate Sakia more than any other announcement right now um maybe, but maybe equaled with Silverstone and, and this takes me on to my next um, story, actually. Uh, Silverstone is open to hosting a second F1 race later this year. So Silverstone would be delighted to host a second Formula 1 race later this year if F1 bosses needed an additional venue to meet its target of 23 races. The home of the British Grand Prix is set to host a capacity crowd of 140,000 fans this Sunday and a combined crowd of more than 300,000 over the race weekend, which will easily be the UK's largest COVID-era crowd. Circuit Managing Director Stuart Pringle said that had that not happened, it's very likely the circuit would have faced financial collapse and is thankful the government gave the venue permission to push ahead with its capacity plans. It's absolutely fair to say that we would have gone under and it was a very strong motivating factor for us. Coming off second really wasn't an option for us, Pringle told the PA, new, uh, PA News Agency. We are far from alone in being an events business which is not capable of surviving two full summer seasons without paying spectators. And for Silverstone, that has to include the British Grand Prix because it's by far our biggest event. It had to happen or the country was at risk of losing one of its most important national sporting assets. Last year, the venue hosted two races, but both were behind closed doors with fans unable to attend, meaning the circuit relied on a payment from Formula One to survive the summer months. With COVID still a major problem around the world, other races are expected to struggle to go ahead with their plans, and some, including the Australian Grand Prix, have already been cancelled. If F1 required a circuit to step in and host another race, like Austria has already done this year, Silverstone would be happy to do so, according to Pringle. 
though he insists it's not something that's been discussed. If we can help by having a race later in the season, then we would be delighted to assist, he added. Formula One deserved remarkable credit that they completed 17 races last year, the only global sport to have achieved such a feat, and I hope they can complete the calendar again. We haven't been asked, and it's not a conversation I've prompted, but if, not, but if us hosting another race gets the championship to a sensible level, of course we would help. There is talk of a second race in Bahrain later in the season, with a handful of races unlikely to go ahead, including Japan and Brazil, which could see the calendar cut to 21 races, if no alternative venues are found. So like you were saying, you know, Silverstone, um, you know, saying that we would be happy to host a second race, but in November time, the clocks have already gone back another hour. If they were going to do it, they would have to start the race at like, I don't know, 12 o'clock or something like that. LA. Why not? You know, um, Ed mentioned before that that race that was very, very wet for Silverstone that year. And I think that was the year that they actually changed the date, didn't they? And that's the reason why it was raining so badly. Um, we obviously don't, we, we obviously love, we, we not love, we obviously need our health and safety about it. Um, but we do go to circuits are notorious for rain and it does rain at them. So why not? You know, November, we might have a nice Indian summer. It might be lovely. But yeah, why not change the time? What, you know, what, what I don't see what that matters you know especially um during these i'm not going to say the unprecedented word even though i just said it i'm not going to put it in the sentence but during these times when it's not a case of anything goes but you know let's let's mix it up and you know let's have a, another great fantastic exciting season and Ed, i think this is going to come close to the time you know if um Suzuka can go ahead um I think Austin will go ahead. Um, it's just whether, you know, to go from, you know, either Russia or Turkey. I mean, if Turkey's off the red list by the time Form 1 does go there, although having said that, it's part of a triple header. You know, Form 1's going to Russia first before Turkey. So is Turkey on Russia's red list? That's the only thing for the Formula 1 teams. Well, I think by October, September, maybe August time, we might be in a different state where Turkey may be off uh, the red list. F1 needs to plan this out perfectly. There may be a slot if Japan can't host a Grand Prix, although from what I've heard from uh, respectable Formula One journalists, um, there is a possibility it will go ahead because of the Honda factor being in there last year and Sonoda's arrival. Um, Brazil, we've talked about that being under risk. Turns out that might not be because uh, Formula Rapida have said that, Brazil, that the uh, circuit bosses are preparing for a full Grand Prix. Uh, this year so there's very limited opportunities um, for Silverstone to host it I don't think uh, Rush Turkey and then Silverstone is particularly feasible I would say maybe down the line maybe you go to Mugello first for example and I think as well it would be way too cold in November time I think uh, the uh, LA's idea of an Indian summer is completely uh, almost something that I would find at the bottom bottom bottle of a bottom of a genie bottle uh, on some random Disney film. I don't think that would be particularly possible. So I think- You'd be surprised if you look back at the weather system in this country in November, the clarity of the air is perfect. It's a wonderful time of year, November in this country. And that track will be a lot colder. Wouldn't that be interesting on tire wear? It would be interesting if you look back at what happened last year with Istanbul and how the circuit uh, was completely like a skating rink. Um, I think because it would be in November and because you could have it 
the proximity to uh, to bonfire night, maybe a night race, for example. I mean, we've done be there's been British touring car races in the night at Solston. Why not have a Grand Prix at night? Um, albeit, I think hot chocolate rather than Johnny Walker would be the order of the day. Um, but I think for the, as for the question of triple header, I think we would probably go to Italy first and then Solston down the line. So it makes it easier for the teams to get the equipment over. And also we don't have to worry about potential quarantines, for example. There's always a race in Spain as well. I mean, Jerez, I know it's maybe not the best circuit for the modern day Formula One cars, but that's available. We've got, um, I think Harama's grade two, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. So probably not. Jerez, one more mention, if we're talking about F2, they host a standalone race in 2017, so they can easily do it. Yeah, they can easily do it there. You mentioned Mugello. I mean, you think about the Formula Regional cars. I mean, the racing in Italy um, in October period. I mean, if they can manage it, I can't. I'm, I can't think why Formula One can't do either. Um, yeah, the, 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 there's enough options. You mentioned Germany as well um, that could fill in like the November slots. You know, we could even go to in Indianapolis because Pen I think um, is it Roger Penske who yes. or one, yeah who owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It may be another Penske, I can't remember, but they said that they'd be open to hosting the Grand Prix at some point, whether it's, you know, hosting it as a third race or having it as an alternating venue with Austin in the coming years, or just simply coming in as like a backup race to, to fill in the um, vacant slots. That could be something as part of a, a double, uh, as part of a, um, a back to back with Austin. Unfortunately, I think Roger Penske has already ruled out the possibility of going to Indianapolis. So, maybe 2022 on that one although it is a good idea i mean f1 wants to grow the sport in the us so maybe they should look at going to indianapolis uh before the eventual trial run in miami mm -hmm. so answers on the postcard in terms of where formula would go to i mean if you were to, if you were to ask me now if i was to ask you now realistically where would you say that fills in australia's slot ed we begin with you um oh god so i think because i also don't think we will go to i think japan may be 50 50 um it depends how tokyo goes um i would put my money on Magello. i think it has there's rumors that they've been booking hotels around that time it's got good weather it's hosted grand prix um you know it's a new venue so it keeps that uh, variety uh, Ferrari own the circuit, so they'll be keen as mustard to get the Defosi in, especially if Monza is sadly with restricted numbers. And I also think uh, with the fact that, you know, more, more people are getting vaccinated, they want to have a trip abroad. And Tuscany is luscious at this time of year, in this time of year. It is beautiful. So you'll get the fans in. Um, I just hope they give it a better name than the Grand, Grand Premio della Toscana. I think maybe something a bit more easier on the tongue. Yeah, I mean, the Tuscan Grand Prix, I don't mind. I mean, that's easily, that, that's not a tongue twister for me. A the Tuscan Grand Prix is fine. I think obviously the race at Imola, the Emilia Moran Grand Prix, just call it the San Marino Grand Prix, if the government, uh, if the, um, you know, the local council, whatever they're called, you know, the mayor of Emilia Manor or whatever, decides to call it the San Marino Grand Prix, that'll be less of a tongue twister for the fans to actually read. I mean, I'm not going to go through the actual name of the Grand Prix itself for the Emilia Romagna because I could, I could end up going on all night about that. But, um, but yeah, that's um, that's something further down the line, guys, in regards to the calendars to whether it will host four more races. We haven't asked you, actually, LA, have we? Um, which 
circuit would you say fills in Australia's slot? Um, I think they'll push Sakia to the week before Saudi and make the last three races a triple header. Uh, obviously, if Abu Dhabi does get the go ahead, which is much later in the season, and that may very well be off that red list. So I think they'll triple head the last three three races. It makes perfect sense for them to be within the Middle East um, and Sakia is delivered before. And I think that if they decided to do that, that gives scope for a Magello or a Silverstone to be put a little a couple of weeks before. And if we did happen to lose Brazil or if we did happen to lose Mexico, that also gives scope to obviously fill that that gap there as well with a, a European race. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that um, they will probably triple head that last three weekends and then Europe for any other filler. Yeah. And I think it also depends what happens with Turkey as well, because if that's still on the red list in, I don't know, by... September time or beginning of September I think Formula they've got to do something about that you know probably it's got to be sooner than that because what is it 21st of uh, it, I don't remember the date October um isn't it early um, early October yes yeah, yeah. is it like the twice it's what the London marathon day isn't it second of October and Turkish outlets are reporting that tickets are already on sale so they better be quick yeah, I mean, we've we've only got a, a perhaps since the beginning of August before they're going to have to make that decision. Yeah, and they've got to make sure they have venues that are lined up because, as you can imagine, that there's like no there's no agreeing who already has a packed schedule on its calendar in terms of the circuit itself with like cycling events and other stuff on there. But I think you would take a Grand Prix over cycling days, wouldn't you, if you're no agreeing? You would, yes, but we have to look back at when. The last time we were at the Nürburgring in October and how horrendously bad the weather was. It was bordering on Baltic. So I think probably going to have to make it earlier than what it was last year. Um, but the thing is, Nürburgring may be already committed to those venues. That the series it may have paid good money to host it. Um, and there's also the fact that they host the VLN Championship. Uh, a lot of the rounds are held at the Nürburgring or the neighbouring Nordschleife. So I don't know if the Nürburgring may be conscious of the fact that they've probably lost a lot of money over the past year. They don't need to lose it more to get limited profits on a Grand Prix, which may not sell. But being Germany and being that it is a Formula One mad country and that they've had races in October beforehand, if you look back to 1995, for example, when it was even colder, they can host races when it looks rather more like a Goodwood Revival meeting uh, than a Grand Prix. So Nürburgring's still a possibility, but they're going to need a few more races to budge. Yeah, I was just going to say, because um, they held, I think it was like 13,000 fans who turned up to last year's Eiffel Grand Prix. With the pandemic situations that is over in Germany right now, I can imagine they'll be able to fit in a lot more than 13,000. But like you say, it's just whether it's worth taking the risk of getting so many fans in for a Grand Prix. I think Japan still, you know, um, is it, at the moment there are certain regions under a state of emergency and um, they're, they're having absolutely zero spectators at the Olympic Games. Um, and obviously the powers that be are going to have to make a decision um, in the next few weeks regarding Japan too. And their current cases again are on the rise um, in the last few weeks. 
um, for, the, for the, you know, pandemic, which is um, incredibly sad. And let's hope that their vaccine programme gets rolled out a little bit quicker over there now, that they're actually opening up more um, medical staff that can actually give those vaccines out. And if, if that's the case, if they start getting the vaccines out quicker, then we will hopefully see a Grand Prix in Japan. Yeah, and, and to be honest, getting so many fans in there, I mean, I'm not sure because, you know, the fact that Japan has held Super Formula races with fans there, you know, decent capacity wise, you know, for Super Formula, it's just whether they'll be able to do that for Formula One. Now, if it's just locals, then just stick with just having locals turning up to the events. Don't bother allowing people from outside of Japan to turn up because they'll have to go through quarantine, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think um, quarantine still, I, I don't think there's, um, there doesn't seem to be, they're not on the red list. So regarding quarantine um, and the regulation when you actually enter the country, that those uh, rules seem to be um, generally okay. They look okay. But I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about a capacity crowd. I, I'm thinking even closed doors. Um, but, but if it's going to be closed doors and it's going to be touch and go with, you know, rises in, in COVID and logistics in getting all the teams over to Japan, the Far East and the circuit where it is in the location it's in, then um, I'm, I'm still not hope i'm still i mean i am hopeful but i'm still not convinced that we're going to see japan this year which will be a real shame because it's one of my favorite circuits on the calendar you know even i did a, a race on f1 2020 at suzuka and honestly it just feels so satisfying when you go through those flowing s's and 130r casio triangle it just it's memorable you know from a fan's point of view when you watch the cars go through there it it does feel satisfying but maybe the races it's hosted over the years haven't quite matched up to it but from a driver's point of view they do want to race at suzuka but i just don't see within myself that japan will want to do it behind closed doors and if you can't do it behind closed doors then the chances are they won't host the race this year having said that they've got a contract sorted up until 2024 so they can always extend it for another year during the period of time where we have from now to sort that um, and it, just what concerns me is is the financial situation. You know, like with Silverstone, with regards to hosting an event with a capacity crowd, what would it mean for Suzuka if they either held a race behind closed doors or not hosting a race at all? How do you, how would you see it, L, um, LA? I'm I'm not 100% sure what what would happen in that regards, but the, that's going to be the Olympics is going to be a trial, surely. You know that's going to be a, a trial for not having any spectators. So if if that goes well, um, I'm not sure how how it will go. Um, I've, I've you know when you're talking about the Olympics and you're talking about that that huge Olympic stadium, um, and also the other venues. Um, I, and I don't know what's that what's an Olympics going to be like without a crowd that's certainly going to be something to watch just be totally totally um depressing a massive sports day the world's biggest sports day you might get some parents on the sideline cheering on yeah <laughs> possibly yeah or maybe bubble maybe, family bubble. maybe you could get like a hot air balloon with some people within their own bubbles sat in there just watching the events or um, the, either the athletics or the um, archery going on, although I wouldn't get too close if they're doing archery there. But um, 
but yeah, it's just it's going to be the Olympics like no other, really, uh, for Tokyo. And it's such a shame for such a wonderful, wonderful country like Japan to have to host a race without hardly any fans there um, is mightily depressing. And that concerns me about um, whether Formula One should be going there. Because if they're not going to allow fans at an Olympic stadium with such capacity, why would you think they'd do the same for Formula One? You know, it's just... Our answer's on the postcard. I mean, we'll have to find out further down the line. I think we'll wait another month um, before we do find out whether um, Japan will be going ahead. Because that event is on October the 10th, isn't it, um, at, um, for the Grand Prix itself. So we'll find out soon enough whether that all stages event or not. And that'll buy Formula 1 some time if the event was to not go ahead. Let's go back to the track because Mercedes have a quite exciting upgrade for the British Grand Prix. Now, Mercedes will be looking to hold Red Bull's momentum next weekend, or this weekend, I should say. The, the Formula One for, at the Formula One British Grand Prix following five back-to-back victories, which has propelled the Milton Keynes team to the top of both the drivers and the constructors' standings. Mercedes look unlikely to regain their dominance this season, but are hopeful they can at least match Red Bull's now superior performance to start clawing back some points, starting with the next race at Silverstone. A maximum 49 points will be on offer, five more than at the normal event, thanks to the debut for sprint qualifying. Mercedes, despite recently stating they had halted the development of the W12 before backtracking, will introduce what Trackside Engineering Director Andrew Shovlin described as a quite exciting upgrade for the race. The car hadn't been working particularly well at Austria, so it had been very difficult trying to get the balance right, and the engineers and the drivers were having to work very hard on that, he said in the Mercedes debrief video. It's nice to get, it's nice to, get to the end of it. We are looking forward to Silverstone. We've got a good update coming that the, the so we've got a good update coming there that's quite exciting. Shufflin is hopeful that a strong British crowd rooting for Lewis Hamilton, as well as their history of doing well at Silverstone, will see their fortunes turn around. We are looking forward to the home crowd. There is obviously a lot of Lewis fans that there are going to be there, and it also it is also a track where our car has worked well. So we've got a few days just to regroup to analyse the results of those and turn around the cars and get them ready for the next race in that updated bodywork. But we are optimistic for a better weekend. Bulls, uh, will Silverstone suit the car better? Well, it's fair to say that Austria is a track that over the years we have struggled at. It's a difficult circuit and one that doesn't seem to suit our car and we are trying to understand those issues. Silverstone on the contrary, uh, on the contrary though, is one that we have tended to go very well at and also Lewis really enjoys that circuit. Some of it is the layout and the high-speed nature, but also the fantastic support he has there from the home crowd. So we are looking forward to it. It's still going to be challenging. Uh, it's still going to be a challenging race weekend. We've got the sprint format to contend with, but hopefully we can put on a better showing and take the fight to uh, take that fight to Red Bull. And like you were saying last week, LA, about how much of a difference home crowd has to a driver, and I was mentioning half a second of lap difference to a normal Grand Prix to, uh, for a driver. Yeah, um, of course it is. You know, I, I think even if um, just talks about the Olympics uh, being in Tokyo and, and the, the host nation always does better at, at their, you know, if, if there's an event in their country. Um, and so, of course, the British Grand Prix, of course, the British drivers, all of them are going to feel at home. They're going to rise to the occasion. And, and it's not only necessarily because um, because it's home. Um, you know, Lewis has got all those amazing, wonderful memories. And even, you know, when he started crowd surfing, which um, has become quite expected almost. So I'm hoping that he wins just so we can see him crowd surfing. 
surf at the end. Um, but you know, it's, it's Silverstone is very special. You've both mentioned, um, especially Ed earlier, you know, about the history of race motor racing of, you know, it's the home of motor racing. And with all of that in mind, um, Lewis is a very proud Brit and very proud to fly the flag. And um, I think, would it, <laughs> wouldn't it be just amazing if we had Lewis up there, Lando up there, and um, let's throw a bit of rain in and have um, George Russell on the podium as well. Let's get a full Brit podium going. How wonderful would it be to make up for uh, the disappointment of last night in the Euros as well? Ed, and are we... Um... The upgrade coming, uh, Andrew Shovlin says it's quite exciting. Whereabouts are we talking then with this um, new upgrade? It's got to be something along the lines of either the floor or the barge boards, perhaps, given the nature of the Silverstone track. I would say the floor probably because I feel that Mercedes, it's the chassis that's the problem, it's not the engine. So it's definitely not power, power unit related. I think probably the floor because a lot of teams have struggled with their floor this season. Um, so I think probably on that side of the car, and really this is Mercedes' last roll of the dice, if you think about it, if this upgrade doesn't work, then maybe they will have to start conceding that the championship may not be winnable this year. Um, I, I, I think it's really, we'll, we'll see how it functions in practice and in qualifying, the proper qualifying on the Friday, on how good it is. Um, if they are... Mil if they are just into the way from beat Verstappen, then I think possibly the upgrade would have done a world of good to that car. And if they get on pole, then even better for Mercedes. So I think this has really got to be it because Mercedes have openly said, we don't want to develop this car too much because we want to focus on 2022. So again, they've got to, they, if, if they're saying it's exciting, then it must be something good and it must be something they've realised that this could be the game changer. Yeah, and I think the next two races in um, Silverstone or Budapest could really define Mercedes' season. I think they've got to win this race or the next one to stay in the hunt because I think the next two races after that are going to be pretty much Verstappen territory, Spa and Zandvoort. And I think that could really define it. Um, I think I think one of the things we, we can bear in mind as well is um, are any other teams bringing an upgrade? What's Aston Martin doing at the moment? Do we know? Um, well, Aston Martin, as far as I know, they brought something um, to Austria, which definitely had a beneficial effect on the car itself. There are some technical insights on the um, Motorsport Week website, which I, I won't go through because it's quite a lengthy one. But they definitely brought something there. And with the um, arrival of, um, I can't remember his name, Andrew Alessi, who I think was head of the technical operations or signed as the new head of technical operations at Aston Martin, who used to work at Red Bull for so many years, even during the championship years where Sebastian Vettel was at. You know, that's a positive sign for Aston Martin. But answering your question, they brought something um, over at Austria, but I can't remember whether they're bringing anything more to Silverstone. It wouldn't surprise me if they did, but I mean, I'm just thinking about McLaren as well. It is their home Grand Prix as well. So what can London Norris do? Can that extra half a second, and probably won't be half a second because we know how tight the field is, um, in the Monday world of Formula One, but it's definitely an encouraging sign. And if he can get very close to Mercedes and Rebel again, that would be a wonderful sight for his, um, for his home crowd, for sure. 
he will I, I totally agree I think that he is full of confidence right now and and you know he's that he's got that car underneath him which is brilliant but do not underestimate these Aston Martins either I mean talk about homes home Grand Prix they could throw a stone you know stones throw out of the window of their entrance and they are in Silverstone circuit if it's anybody's home Grand Prix in one respect it's their home Grand Prix because they are the closest team to that gate entry. You can see the gate entrance, you know what I mean? So um, for, the, for the team, not the drivers as such, but for the team, that team, that is their home. They're going to bring their A game. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst we've been talking about uh, current drivers, well, one driver in the past has sadly passed away at the age of 79 that is Carlos Reutemann. So Carlos Reutemann, one of the most successful Formula 1 drivers of the late 1970s and the early 80s, has died at the age of 79. His daughter Cora had announced on the Wednesday of last week. Reutemann entered 146 Grand Prix for Brabham, Ferrari, Lotus and Williams across a decade-long career in Formula 1. Reutemann won 12 races and finished on the podium on 45 occasions. He was widely regarded as one of the greatest drivers never to win the Formula 1 title. He famously entered the 1981 season finale leading the standings but went on to lose out to Nelson Piquet by just a single point. He, he subsequently retired after only two rounds of the 1982 campaign and did not race again in Formula 1. Reutemann also entered a couple of rallies in his native Argentina in 1980 and 85 and finished third on both occasions. He became a distinguished politician in his home country after his racing career and served two terms as governor of the Santa Fe province. He has served, a, a, he has served as a member of Argentina's Senate since his second term as governor seized in 2003. We are all deeply saddened to hear that Carlos Reutemann has passed away, Formula One said in a statement. He was a big part of our sport for many years and, he, and was a fighter to the end. He will be greatly missed. Well, Ed, we saw some time ago, like four or five weeks ago or something like that, um, he was diagnosed with something. He was feeling very, very ill and the inevitable happened. And what a sad loss it is um, for Formula One and for Argentina. It's a tragic loss. Um, losing Carlos Reutemann, who was arguably the only real Argentinian driver who I have known to potentially end their drought and become the first champion since the great Juan Manuel Fangio in the 50s. Arguably one of the most iconic drivers of the 70s with his, his at times rather wacky personality in terms of the fact that some days he would be ultra quick and then some days he would be sluggish. But he was a fantastic driver, a great man as well as you've seen achieved so much out of the car in the fact that he, because of his popularity, he was elected as governor of Santa Fe, a real, a real sign that he was loved by the Argentinian people for what he achieved in Formula One. He arguably is one of the greats never to win the world championship. Unfortunately, some bad luck and at times moving to the right team at the wrong time, particularly Lotus in 1980 when they were going downhill really cost him uh, badly. And Reutemann is one of those drivers that I think a lot of people will remember vividly for being a great, being one of the true flam truly flamboyant drivers of, that of his generation. And it's also unfortunately sad that 
Argentina has never really had a top driver since he left. Uh, Oscar Larrari never really had much success. Nerberto Fontana was only in Formula One for about three or four races. Esteban Tuero came in with a lot of promise. Gaston Mazzacane, unfortunately, was not able to deliver. And it seems that Argentinian motorsport has never really been able to find someone as good as Reutemann. Um, he will be sadly missed. He was an intrigual, intrigual part of the Formula One makeup and also the Argentinian uh, social life. If you watch a clip of him testing a 94 Ferrari around the circuit in Buenos Aires before the Grand Prix that year in 95, he was remarkably quick. Um, he would have started 12th on the grid if he had been allowed to start in that car, which shows that he's still got it. And that shows the true test of a driver when you can still, at nearly 40, 50 years old, be just as quick as the guys who are 25, 26 years old. So Carlos Reutemann will be remembered off the track, but he will also be remembered on the track. And I send my condolences to all Argentinian motorsport fans for the, their loss and the world is thinking with them at this very sad time. Yeah. LA, you've obviously come across Carlos Reutemann, you know, in you know the archives of Formula One and the victories they had won as well. And believe it or not, this is a true fact, he's one of only three drivers to have taken pole position on their F1 debut. Incredible driver. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, considering he had a relatively short Formula One career, um, just those four four seasons, um, but with some of the most, you know, successful teams, biggest name teams going. So it obviously goes to um, represent what a great driver that he was with the Brabham, the Lotus, the Ferrari and the Williams. And to have finished that excruciating one point, you know, behind Nelson Piquet, in 1981 um it 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 was sort of one of those of um it could have been you know almost nearly um but but for racing one for one for formula one racing fans all over the world that is still an incredible respectable result to have achieved um and he finished in the top three in four championships you know and again just respectable statistics mad statistics for the few races that that he he drove compared to some drivers who, who are in the sport for absolute years and years and years and he's considered um the 27th best formula one driver ever which how many Formula One drivers has there been? You know, the, again, an, an incredible ode to this um, gentleman who not only had a great, successful, admirable, enjoyable, pleasurable as a fan racing career, he went on to an incredible, respectful career um, in, you know, as Ed's just explained in, in Santa Fe. And he was encouraged to, to go for the presidency, you know, of, of the country, which he declined. He, he didn't do that. Um, but he was that respected and that, that supported that he, he could have got to the highest level of, of his political career, too, if he'd have chosen. And, um, you know, he's put up like he fought on the track. Um, he fought an incredible battle since, I believe, 2017 with his illness um and and what a man what a guy you know full respect 
heart. Um, very emotional about his passing because of, of the career he had and the enjoyment that, that he brought to so many fans and to his team as well and, and everybody that are still, Ferrari and Williams are still in Formula One and I'm sure that there are still people within those teams that know him well and that remember him with amazing fondness and I will, will mirror both your sentiments and obviously send my condolences to, uh, to his family and to Argentina as a, a, mo a massive, enthusiastic motorsport country and to Formula One as well. Yeah, I also add quick points. Um, he could have easily won the championship with Ferrari when he placed louder, 76 and 77, but sadly it didn't come off. And I may correct myself, Lotus in 79, that was, of course, probably one of his biggest mistakes but he was part of the fact that you know Williams became a dynasty in the 80s with him and Alan Jones and if he had stayed around in 1982 that may have been his year but sadly it wasn't to be. Yeah, and I think if you remember as well that there was the Fisa folk war at the beginning of 82 where one of the races I don't know if Reutemann was affected by that but he one of the races I think it was Nelson Piquet who won in Brazil um, he he was disqualified for it for an illegal um, fuel ballast tank or something like that. Yeah, um, I think it was something like that. Which obviously um, provoked um, the Formula One paddock, and obviously that was part of the reason why we had the boycott at the San Marino Grand Prix in 1982, where we only had, I think it was the Foker teams of Ferrari, Renault, teams who weren't running like Ford or Cosworth engines in that race. Um, Boycotted a boycott that in reaction to what happened um, in Brazil, and of course that was a very um, a very emotional year for more reasons than one in '82. I remember, but of course we will remember Carl Schweitzman um, for what he's done, both on and off the track. Twelve Grand Prix wins to his name. One of only three drivers to have taken pole position on the F1 debut, finished in the top three in the championship four times in '75, '78, '80, and '81. He will be greatly missed. Carlos Reutemann, rest in peace, age 79. Silverstone this weekend, guys. And whilst we may feel down from England's result against Italy in the final of the Euros, we really could do with a smile on our faces this weekend with three drivers competing from Britain, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris and George Russell. And is Lewis Hamilton going to bring that pride that everyone so desperately needs after what's been Quite a difficult year again, it has to be had. But can Lewis Hamilton do it this time with the upgrade potentially coming? Mm, I hate to say it, no. I think Verstappen's going to win again. And I think, although Hamilton will be second, Sergio Perez will be third. I think Red Bull just have the package to keep winning and keep being this unstoppable juggernaut that has pretty much dominated this season. So I think... Like football fans last night, I think a lot of racing fans may be going home slightly disappointed as Verstappen cleans up again. Yeah, and whilst um, those fans in particular, of course, Ferrari will be pretty much going into the weekend flying high with Italy winning the Euros. And uh, I don't know if that's a psychological or that's going to be a psychological effect, um, LA, but, you know, they could do with another good weekend to take the fight to McLaren, if they can take the fight in a football match with uh, an English team, uh, well, an English team like England, they can certainly take the fight to an English team like McLaren on the racetrack. 
Yeah, but I think they've been the underdogs the other way around because, you know, I think Italy were um, expected to to win that trophy on Sunday um, and England weren't, you know, especially as we went into the tournament. You know, Italy were certainly favourites, a better team over the England team, whereas the other way around, um, you know, Ferrari aren't matching up at the moment to even McLaren, you know, let alone uh, Mercedes and certainly not the Red Bulls. They were seem to be off down the road at the moment. Um, you know, don't forget that... Uh, um, pole position at Silverstone is is quite important. Um, it certainly has track advantage, psychological advantage, um, and also down to pit stop advantages, things like that. So the later sessions um, might make a difference if we bear in mind those times that you did talk about earlier, Tom. Um, they might make a difference to who qualifies where, which then will have a massive influence on the race unless there's rain but you know we're talking about a dry race on a reasonably pleasant weekend that's supposed to get into the 70s so it's not reaching 80s 90s it's not getting extremely hot so it's already in the 70s it might cool down to 60s 50s in a bit later on in the day who knows and I also think that that's definitely going to to have an effect and on the outcome yeah time for predictions guys and it's predictions like no other we start with you, Ed. Who do you think will be on pole for the sprint qualifying race? Who will win the sprint qualifying race? And who will win the main Grand Prix itself? Who will finish second and who will finish third? So, let's discuss. Um, I think Hamilton will get pole in for the sprint race qualifying. But the sprint race qualifying will go to Max Verstappen. And in the race, it will also go to Max Verstappen. And Hamilton second. Paris first. Okay. LA, who do you think will be on pole for the spring qualifying race and so not on pole for the main race? Who will be fastest in qualifying? Who will win the spring qualifying race and who will win the Grand Prix plus second and third place finishes? Ah, too many questions. Um, uh, let me think. I think that... Um, I think Lewis might get the the sprint qualifying. I think Max might get the regular qualifying, but um, I still think Lewis will get the sprint. And I don't know. I'm I'm going to go for the upgrades. I'm going to give it to Lewis for the race win um, with a very very close Max Verstappen, um, who might lead the race at some points during it. But I still think Lewis will get it. And um, I'm punting for Norris on third. I'm going for Lando. Do you know what? I'm going to go for. Oh, who do I think will be fastest in qualifying? It's very, very tough to say, but I think Mercedes will be leaning more towards the race pace rather than qualifying pace. So I'm going to say Max Verstappen to be fastest in qualifying. He will take the sprint race victory, the sprint qualifying victory. And in the main Grand Prix on the Sunday, Lewis will win. Max will finish second for the sake of damage limitation. And finishing third will be Lando Norris. Because I think the home support will give him the... Uh, the boost he needs to finish on the podium again, and what a wonderful sight it'll be for the home crowd um, at Silverstone as some recompense for the final of Euro 2020. We'll leave it there, you two, because we're going to bring the show to an end. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in for this podcast. Next week, LA will be back with me, along with Menen and Manasau, to review the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. From LA, Ed and all of us at Motorsport Week, enjoy the racing this weekend, and it's goodbye. Goodbye.